It is the Locked On Bengals Podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. Hey there, Bengals fans. Welcome into the weekend mailbag edition of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. We have a bunch of questions to get through today, and we apologize to those of you who entered our best question contest last week to win a choice to pick our opening music. Today, we forgot. However, this week, we have already picked our favorite question of this week. We will notify the winner of that after the show is posted and give you a choice of opening music for next week. Of course, we do reserve the right to veto, depending on what your choice is in extreme cases. Before we get into your questions, the biggest news today around Bengaldom and actually made some waves around the entire NFL is Troy Blackburn's quote with Cat Terrell when he said, defending the signing of Bobby Hart, and I'll give my best impression here as I read the full quote from Cat Terrell again, for those who say you shouldn't have signed Bobby Hart, who, who's going to play right tackle? Who? Oh, maybe maybe you'll draft one in the third round and he'll come on. Really? You're, you're going to bet your season on that? We may still draft somebody. We haven't had the draft yet, but you can't just criticize. In our business, you have to solve the problem. If you're not going to pay him, tell me. Who? Trent Brown at $17 million? Trent Brown? Really? A seventh-round draft pick? Let go, essentially, by his team? Really? We can't go to Walmart and buy off the shelf a high-quality starting right tackle? That doesn't exist. You have to deal in the universe of options you have. We ended up signing eight guys. That's probably above average. Were they perfect? You're not going to get perfect. There are perfect options out there. We asked Willie Anderson if he could go to a time machine and come back at age 25. We'd love to sign him, but you have to deal in your universe of options. I think the data would say we signed more guys than most in line with the cap that we talked about. If there are surprises out there, we'll try to be flexible and aggressive, but normally there aren't surprises out there. I hate this. dramatic reading. (laughs) I hate everything about this. I mean, I I don't know if that's the tone that Troy Blackburn used, right? But let's let's take a look at a few few points. First off, Trent Brown, a seventh-round draft pick, let go by his team. Yes, he did go get $17 million, but he also put together a good postseason and generally at least an average season at tackle for the Patriots after being traded, acquired from the 49ers. Meanwhile, Bobby Hart, also a seventh-round pick, literally let go by his team for nothing, not essentially nothing, because the 49ers did get a return from the Patriots for Trent Brown, and the Patriots are going to turn around and get a third-round pick in compensatory value. Meanwhile, Bobby Hart, $7 million, which $5.5 million a year this year, $7 million. $10 million less than Trent Brown for probably $10 million worse of production, right? So this idea yeah. that, that this is somehow a better option than paying in free agency, I don't know what he's talking about. And the other thing is like, yeah, you sign more guys. I, go look at Joe Goodberry's Twitter page for the guys they signed and how much money they spent on each. And tell me that, you know, this is something that we're supposed to say is above average. Right. 
And then he mentions, like, there's no other guys, like, there's no other options. Pay either Trent Brown, who got the most money at tackle of all time, or Bobby Hart. And those were his two options in free agency. There wasn't Daryl Williams or Ty Naseki or um, name name whoever. I would have taken I would have taken the the backups that signed back with the Cowboys and Cameron Fleming. That's what I'm thinking of. Or Adrian Waddle, guys that signed as swing tackles. I mean, those are swing tackles. If you're saying Bobby Hart, we we still have the draft, a, dra- a third round pick. And that's the thing too. Why third round pick? Well, so a first round guy is not going to come in and beat Bobby Hart. Second round. I don't know. The whole thing to me is just very defensive, very light on actual facts, very light on seemingly having touch with reality, having touch with the fan base. Because not only does he he call out saying Bobby Hart's not that great, we had to settle for him almost. Uh, but he also says all the guys we signed aren't aren't perfect. And he also says Trent, what Trent Brown, you, and so he's calling out Trent Brown, who's had two really good years with one with the 49ers, one with the, with the Patriots. So I just hate this whole quote. I think it's disgustingly terrible. I think you put him in a box and you don't let this man talk again. Yeah. My tweet responding to this was, I don't think we'll hear from Troy Blackburn for a while after hearing, after hearing this. Cause this is like, this is transparency that you don't want to see from your, yeah. from your favorite football team, right? Like this is a look into the black box a little bit and it's like, a, Oh, Scary. that was the worst case of what could have right. been in there. Like it's like I want to hear what their decision making process is, and then you hear this, and you go, "They don't know what they're doing." They, they, <laughs> this, this, yeah, that's exactly that's exactly it. Yeah, like this tells us as Bengals fans that they didn't look outside of the building. Like Ty Nasecki, I think, is the best example. Maybe even Daryl Williams, if if Daryl Williams actually ever truly got onto the market, they didn't even consider those guys. Judging from this quote, it's like he's and, he's oblivious to the guys that are actually exactly. available. And if you want to defend the heart signing, because this is what the question was about, this is how you do it. You say, here's the truth, guys. Bobby Hart was extremely durable for us. He was 24 years old when we brought him in. We thought he made progress throughout the year, even though he had some bumps on, in the road. Uh, knowing Bobby, knowing who he is as his character, he's going to put in the work. I think he can get better. And the offense we're building uh, we wanted to attack other positions. We want to focus our, the draft on other positions. And if we can round out some of these other spots and, and have everyone else healthy and everyone else else is clicking, we can h- help Bobby reach his full potential uh, as our right tackle. And that's how I would have laid it out there. And, and defend Bobby Hart. Make Bobby Hart at least sound like you can work with him and be a, have a competent offense with Bobby Hart as your right tackle. Instead, it makes it seem like we don't have any other option. That's that's a heartwarming take on Bobby Hart from Joe Goodberry right there, ladies and gentlemen that are listening to the podcast. Yeah, I mean, it goes in line with the idea that they think that his penalties were a fluke, that they're going to be reduced coming into 2019. That's something they've talked about. And then you back it up with that. You say, you know, he took a step. We think we can continue to work with him. It doesn't come off as petulant. It doesn't come off as ignorant. It doesn't come off as defensive. It doesn't come off as shaming your own guys or players that have gone on to other teams. Or attacking analysts and fans. I did. I, yeah. I think a lot of people felt that way as if like, come on, guys, there was no one out there. You're living in fantasy land. We're trying to live in reality and solve actual problems. You didn't solve the problem. I mean, that's part of the problem we have with it is you, you acted like you did. And everyone out there, the rest of the world, the rest of the football world doesn't believe you solved that problem. Right. And everyone thinks you bit against yourself. And and we keep right. talking about Bobby Hart. And I People hate talking about Bobby Hart. People that would know keep saying it. Yeah. 
I hate talking about Bobby Hart on this podcast, so I got to say. It's, but it's the biggest news of today, so that's is. the only reason we're going to talk about it. It is, and that's why we're addressing it. Greg Schiano resigned from the Patriots, so that, that, that happened today, too. Robert Quinn got traded to the Cowboys. Oh, really? I, did, I missed that one. It's just happened, actually, and I thought someone said a six-round pick, so I don't know how many of those we, we have. What do, what do you think? I, I, I think there's uh, – do they have more than one this year? Oh, you're right. It's five. <laughs> I didn't see what else the com- compensation was, but I did see someone say, six-round pick for Robert Quinn, how many do the Bengals have? And I'm like, oh, okay, great. In other news, the Cincinnati Reds won their opening day baseball game today. So for those of you that are Cincinnati sports fans and not just Bengals fans, enjoy the victory. It was a pretty fun one. I watched some of the game. The bench is nice. But uh, I'll give a shout-out to our sister podcast or brother brother podcast. I don't know what podcasts genders are uh jeff carr does the locked on reds podcast you can check that out for the reds version of this podcast yeah without further ado shall we get into questions yes can't wait all right i'll i'll take the first one so you want me to read it or you want to read it i will read the first question here gotcha don at papa x4 asks with bobby hart at right tackle don't you think the best tight end at blocking should be a higher priority as well as emphasizing instructing running backs to block and chip better. So we weren't going to talk about Bobby Hart, and here we are talking about how we're going to use the rest of the roster to compensate for Bobby Hart. Well, I will say this, because you can't just put your head in the sand and expect a bad player or or a a weakness on the roster to just play better. It's it's not magic, right? So how do you compensate? How do you help him not get exposed often? And I think the Bengals will have – uh, a blocking scheme that'll help with a lot of the play actions and things like that. We've looked at the numbers. You typically typically get sacked less on play action, uh, and that's a good thing. So it should not expose Hart as much. I agree with the blocking tight end thing. It's a thing we have. We may have taken T.J. Hawkinson twice, uh, yeah. or or at least once. I did. I know I did myself at the athletic. So I've maybe doubling this argument in my head that having him as a blocker next to Hart would help out a lot, especially in the run game. Uh, as a, in the pass game, you're probably going to send that guy out. But in terms of chipping for the running backs, the Rams' offense put a lot of targets on the on the backs, and uh, I would expect them to be used in lightening the box of the defense. So you you may not have them, uh, let's say, pass blocking all the time and going out for routes instead and trying to get that linebacker out of there, trying to get that maybe edge guy to, to chase him into the flats. So you get help different ways. It doesn't always have to be a chip. But I would say yes, with the way the tackles played last year, they're going to have to adjust and scheme for it, and we could see the running backs chipping more. And we talked about this when we talked about the running back position, how much better Giovanni Bernard is than Joe Mixon at this point in the pass-blocking game. Especially picking guys up. When you're yep. when you're chipping a guy that's already engaged, I, I don't know that they're, you know, I think Mixon is probably fine there. But I think the one thing I'm excited for going into this year, outside of just chipping and and getting help from a tight end and pass blocking which is something i actually really hate to see i I don't generally enjoy seeing tight ends stay into block chipping is fine but staying into block it like it's not like when eifert was still healthy and still playing in line they would keep him into block sometimes on passing plays and it's just that's not what you want to do with your offense but what i was going to say is i'm excited to see if the uh, the old tight end pulling around the offensive line on a play-action play to pick up the defensive end on the other side of the line can please go away. 
You know Did you say about? the tight end doing that or the yeah, guard? The tight end. They do that with the guards too. Uh, yeah, I just but, got sick of seeing Uzama come around and try to pick up a defensive end, and it's just like it, you Croft know why you do too. That is that you're trying to put the linebackers in conflict, and any type of pulling on a pass play or especially play action, you read first that pulling uh, lineman or tight end for the for the linebacker, and it sucks you up. You've got no choice choice but to respect it, and uh, that's why you do it. So you you don't you only want to do it a few times, but yes, I know what you're saying. What's the next question, Joe? It's from Dirty Dubs five one three. He asks, "What would you consider a successful first season for Zach Taylor?" I would be looking for individual players to take steps, guys that maybe are underachieving, or that have a little bit of projection to them, or maybe even guys that we think are, are topped out. Right? Like I'm looking for individual players to step up their game. I want Zach Taylor to show me that he can elevate talent on the Cincinnati Bengals football team. And if that's just putting them in the right place to make plays, great. But if, if the production goes up, uh, especially on the offensive side of the ball, I think, then then it's a successful first season for Zach Taylor. I'm not convinced that he's got the staff he necessarily wants on the defensive side of the ball. So the defense, I think, is is a bigger question for me in terms of defining what success looks like on that side of the ball. Obviously, you want to see them be better than they were last year. But, yeah, I want to see if he shows me that he can develop Andy Dalton and, and use the weapons that are on the team if effectively, especially John Ross and especially Joe Mixon, uh, both in the passing game and as a runner. Yeah, I like this answer. I was actually thinking wins and losses, what would be considered successful. But I think your answer is better. I think if we see all the things that frustrated us from a Marvin Lewis coach team about how a lot of players were used incorrectly, right – if that changes and we have way less gripes about how they're being used, I that would be, yes, that, not only will that result in more wins, in my opinion, but yes, it'll be successful, in my opinion. What would be the win total? What what number did you have in mind? I was going to say seven wins because a first-time coach with a staff that didn't seem like it inspired that they were, uh, you know, rounding up exactly what they wanted. I would say if they got to seven wins and and – it depends on how you get to those seven wins, of course, but if I would feel better. What if what if there's a surprise Andy Dalton trade and a rookie quarterback? Then then what does success look like? Then then everything changes, right? So this is Yeah. It's uh, there's so many variables still when we start thinking about the twenty nineteen season. We haven't had the NFL draft yet. That's the biggest one, right? Yeah. Uh next question here comes from Zach West ninety one on Twitter. Keeping in line actually with our last question, what position group do you guys think could decently improve with a coaching change? Our offensive line, which most likely would have been even worse had it not been for Pollock last year, for example. Yeah, I would say the running backs. And I, I say that because I b- believe if this Rams offense is coming, which it sounds like it is, especially with the wide zone scheme and, and the guys they brought in, uh, Joe Mixon could end up being a superstar. And if that's the case, that is very valuable to a lot of games that really – they if. The few he missed when he wasn't healthy, but uh, there was a few games that we were even frustrated in the last couple of years where you felt like this team needed to lean on Mixon or get the running game going, and they just couldn't trust it. And I feel like it, there is potential there for it to be much, much better. And, uh, you know, they've they brought in a big right guard. If Billy Price takes another step at center, they could be a decent running team. And they were a decent running team. Yeah, but I think they got worse at, at offensive line coach. Yes. That is hard to argue. 
and, it, and a lot of people don't understand, O-line coach is pretty much a run game coordinator. And Pollock was good at it, and especially teaching the, the zone stuff. And he's a big reason why Mixon uh, I, had much more room in year two. I know Callahan was the quarterback's guy, but isn't he well-versed? He's, yes. In, yeah. Yep. So there's a little bit of spread-out expertise there. And I think he, he comes from a different – a different school of, of running running game design than does Jim Turner, does he not? You know what, Jim Turner has, it seems to me, uh, done everything. So okay. I wouldn't say what I would lock him in and say uh, what he can or can't do, to be honest with you, because I wouldn't want to say that. Because it, in college, you could do so many different things because teams are willing to do yeah. that and kind of need to. So you, when it's kind of hard to look at that. But when he was with the Dolphins, they ran – a lot of what you should expect with like a Bill Lazor offense, basically what we saw last year, which was zone stuff and spread uh, formation. So it, okay. I think we could see that. Uh, the other position that I wanted to talk about here was quarterback because we've talked about it before. So I'll be brief early in the year. We saw changes from Andy Dalton that we hadn't seen in the quarterbacking or the coaching that he's had previously in his career. When Alex Van Pelt came in as a quarterback's coach, with three quarterbacks coaches around now, I'm curious to see what other changes might pop up and what might stick going into year two with Alex Van Pelt. And I really think the Rams type offense would get a lot of good production out of Andy Dalton. So, uh, yes, that if we're looking for like I said before, there's a difference between getting good production and getting good play. Uh, both can lead to wins, but really you want the good play to match the good production. I think we can get the production definitely. I just obviously we hope we get the good play also. With quarterback specifically, I think yeah, the good production is what ends up winning you games when you're on schedule and where you yep. need the good play is when things go wrong, when you go off script at any point. That's and I'm not talking about like in the playoff script. I'm saying maybe you throw an interception on the first drive or your kickoff returner fumbles the yeah. ball and you start the game down 7 then that's when you need the good play to also be part of it. And the playoffs are a good example, too, because you need to play well. You're going to get into situations where you're – look at Jared Goff in the Rams. Look at – I mean, I'm well, not trying to they got to the say, Super Bowl. They did. But I was going to say Andy Dalton in the you know previous years where there were times they needed to lean on him, and uh, they couldn't do it. And yeah. But Jared Goff in the Super Bowl, and yes, they did play well in the playoffs, but uh, – a lot of it was running game in the playoffs too. So there, there comes times where you need to make a throw. You need your, you need your guy to make it, and that's what that's where the good quarterback play comes in. If Andy right, Dalton, yeah, okay, let's move on. You know, we said his name wrong last time, and he he let us know, and now I don't remember how he told us to say his name, but I'm going with Sobuteo, forty two blue, and he asks, considering the variables, if you had to place a bet. Who do you think is our quarterback on opening day 2020 and 2021? If I had to bet, I would say Andy Dalton 2020. 2021, I don't know. I don't even, I have no idea who I've been on for 2021. But if I had to bet, I would say 2020. If I had to bet and it's the same guy for both of those years, I might say, uh, Daniel Jones maybe right. is the most likely that would be for both years. I mean, maybe Will Greer. Maybe I was going to say that'd Haskins. be fun. Yeah, right. Those are those are the guys from this year's class. Would be Dwayne Haskins, Drew, or not Drew Locke. Maybe Drew Locke, but Dwayne Haskins, Will Greer, 
and, and Jones, Daniel Jones. Is that his name? Yeah. yeah. So how much money am I betting? Am I betting a hundred dollars, five hundred, a thousand? Because then I'm saying Andy Dalton. If, bet, if I'm betting, you better be getting good odds if you're betting on a starting quarterback when there's nobody right. under contract in 2021. Exactly. If I'm betting fifty bucks, I'm going to say Dwayne Haskins 2020 and 2021. There you go. Next question comes from Corey Mead, Meter14 on Twitter. Who is your favorite under the radar or underrated Bengal of all time? Mm. Chinidum and Duque, seventh oh. round pick out of Notre Dame. Uh, wasn't the most athletic guy, but kind of had linebacker size. And when they'd use him as a third safety, and this was before people were doing that, uh, he'd come down, he'd play some linebacker, play, play some safety. He had a knack for creating turnovers somehow scooping up the fumble and scoring. He was just fun. He was really fun, and and he seemed like a good guy. So, uh, Chinder Madukwe didn't last long, but as a seventh-round pick, I think they got good value out of him for a few years. It's hard for me to think about under-the-radar players. I can think of underrated Bengals easily. Willie Anderson, criminally underrated during his career. Sure, in terms of the league? Yeah. Okay. I was uh, thinking even underrated in, uh, in terms of Bengals fans. Yeah, that that gets a lot you harder. You said you love me. Rudy Johnson. I did He's love Rudy Johnson. But I think, for the league. I yeah, but I think Bengals fans really like Rudy Johnson too. Uh, sure. I was I was gonna say maybe like uh, oh no, because Tory James was flashy with the interceptions that year too. So that one doesn't. And so really is Delpho O'Neal. Yeah, they were both pretty flashy guys. Medu Williams was pretty well liked. Uh, hmm. Don't have anyone, huh? It's just really hard, right? Cause, then you, then cause, you're out of here. That's one strike for you. You're done. Well, Next because question. well, because you're all the guys Bengals that I'm fan. thinking of are well known for Bengals fans. Bobby Williams, Willie Anderson, uh, Evan Mathis, who I wish had gotten a chance to play for the Bengals. Like I don't have an under the radar guy because they didn't play. Fine, I'm disappointed. Next one, Brazy Bengal. What's up, boys? My question this week is, do you think the Bengals will extend Boyd and or sure show urgency this year? Uh, I think in, in extending Boyd, is that what he means? I, I think it would be crazy to let the slot production go and he showed true wide receiver to upside. Also fearing they let him walk due to money demanded. Do you have a favorite sneaky wide receiver prospect? Yeah. Yeah, I do think that they are prioritizing extending Boyd. I think that that's what reports have been. And I think that if they don't re-sign Boyd, I would be more surprised than if they do re-sign Boyd. Mm -hmm. Uh, Antoine Wesley, Texas Tech wide receiver. Talking about him in like the fourth, fifth round. I really like him late. Uh, He's a guy that I think could be a Marvin Jones kind of player. He's not a slot guy, but he's looks like he can play outside receiver in the NFL. He he has some similar, similar skill sets to Marvin Jones, similar build even to Marvin Jones. I think that's my sneaky wide receiver. He's not that yeah. sneaky. And I, I also think they'll get the uh, deal done with Boyd. I, I also wonder if it's worth being aggressive. And I say this from my perspective, so it'll probably depend on them. Now they spent a second round pick on him. I wouldn't have done that. So they were probably higher on him than I was. So for me, if I was the GM, I'd want him to show one more good year and I would end up paying more for that. But I think I would bet on that because uh, he was great last year, but I didn't expect that. And he didn't stay healthy also. So I'd like him to do it one more time and then I'd feel more comfortable uh, 
giving him a big deal. Because if he puts two back-to-back years like he just did, I'll pay him whatever he wants. If that's $15 million, fine. I don't, I don't care. He was that good. So, well, uh, but will the Bengals do that? Yeah, I don't know. That's why I'm saying I, I. it's hard for me to answer because I was so much lawyer, lower on Boyd than they were. I feel like they will try to extend him this year. So you don't uh, believe it yet? It's not that I don't believe it. I would love a little bit more um, production. I mean, not production, uh, like an extended production, I should say. Uh, just a better track record because I think he overachieved. And that's, you can do that and have a good career, but how much do you pay a guy that overachieves? Yeah, that's. I mean, so, players play in contract years too. There's, there's yeah. definitely a history of that, right? And if he does it two years in a row like this, then whatever. He's not an overachiever. He's just damn good, and I'll take it. And then you're uh, risking losing him to free agency. Exactly, but unless I tag him for fifteen, eighteen million, whatever it is. Uh, favorite wide receiver prospect. So this is like sneaky ones in terms of like day three. I think he's saying. I've mentioned Gary Jennings from West Virginia before. He's been a slot guy for them. He's had uh, double-digit touchdowns one year, catching 90 passes the next year. He's a high-contested uh, guy. I think 54%. Steve Palazzolo, PFF, had that just yesterday. He was he had the most uh, highest completion percentage in contested situations. I really like Gary Jennings, and he looked great in the senior bowl, too. I would also say Tyree Brady out of Marshall. I just like the way he moves. He's very flexible, catches a lot of bad balls. Can really adjust. He needs probably like another a similar fifth, five, sixth round. I won't be surprised. Uh, and I was going to also say Penny Hart, mm-hmm. small, quick receiver from Georgia Southern. I want to say, and I don't know if he's ever going to be a starter, but he might be an Andrew Hawkins type, where he's a gadget guy and you can definitely use him. Yeah, I didn't want to take Gary Jennings from you, but I think he's probably. I don't know if he's going to go as late as as we think he might. Maybe, maybe teams will like him more, but. You know, I, every time you see rankings, there's sometimes he's way down on them. Yeah. And some people question his ball skills too, which I haven't seen enough to say that they're not there. What I've seen is pretty pretty solid ball skills, especially in those contested situations like you mentioned. But he's a slot guy, so that's why those guys end up in the slot is normally a lack of ball skills. Sure. Uh, next question comes from Will at 2 free Willy one What are the five best helmet uniform combos in the NFL? This is easy for me because I love helmets that don't just slap the logo on the side and they kind of incorporate what their logo or their mascot is. So for me, that's why I love the Bengals helmets. I think the Eagles have fantastic helmets. I think the Vikings have fantastic helmets, even though that's kind of their logo. They use the helmet for their logo. But, you know, that horn and the way they've really updated it, I think it's awesome. Uh, After that, I think the Seahawks used to have really cool helmets with the silver. I've grown on the blue ones, especially with the – the um, what looks like a, a feather over the middle for their stripe. And is that four? Uh, lastly, I would say, hmm. Oh, I don't know if I've got one off the top of my head now. What do you think, Jake? I was, I, I've been, you, you named a lot of the good ones. I was thinking about others in the NFL that are good. And I'm We've got new to... uniforms coming for the Jets and Browns. Did you see that? I there's nothing you can do to make the Browns uniform look good unless you change our color scheme and the name of the team. Okay. <laughs> uh, I was thinking about the Chargers. Sure. I can get with that. What Especially about the Rams? Blue. Oh, yeah. I think the Rams have the awesome. The Rams, uniforms. actually. Definitely the Rams because they have that swirl. They have that horn. You know what's cool about the Rams is they still are blue and yellow and blue and gold. They take off the decal if they want to wear the gold and they take off the decal if they want to wear the yellow. 
Because you have to have, you're only allowed one set of helmets in the NFL, which is yep. why we don't get white helmets for the Bengals whiteout uniforms. Exactly. So thanks for the save there, but those are definitely my favorites. Next question go. is from Pete Wensler. He asks, favorite video game of all time? I absolutely love the show. Look forward to it every day. You two are great. Thank you, Pete. Yeah, thanks, Pete. We appreciate that, and we appreciate your shared nerd interests. That's a little bit of a hard question for me. I would say off the top of my head that it's between two action RPGs in Diablo 2 and Path of Exile, which is currently the game that, that I play the most, which is really the spiritual successor to Diablo 2. And my favorite franchise is definitely Halo. Uh, I am completely enwrapped in everything that they do in terms of the lore and the expanded universe. I can't get enough of it. So I would say that, but to be specific, uh, I would say Halo 3. I played probably played the most. It was just peaked at the right time for me. I was 19, 20 years old, so early college. Um, my wife and I at the time were, or my future wife at the time, were uh, separated a little bit while we were going to school and, and didn't live. We lived about 70 miles away from each other at that time. We would play a lot together. And, you know, that was the first time she ever got into games. So it kind of kept our relationship together, being able to play that game. And so I think highly of it and it's, it has fond memories for me. But honestly, it's a fantastic game as well. That's cute. Yeah. Thanks. I have some honorable mentions I'll just throw out there. Uh, Virtua Tennis for the Sega Dreamcast. Skies of Arcadia, <laughs> also for the Sega Dreamcast. Heroes of Might and Magic 3 for PC. Obviously, the Pokemon games, I think, are excellent. Yep. Um, I played a lot played... of World of Warcraft, too. Uh, but I'm, played... not a, I'm not a shooter guy. So, you know, when yeah. you're talking about Call of Duty or Halo or whatever, or, or the Battle Royales that are popular now, those aren't my games. I was going to say, have you played Red Dead Redemption 2? No... And I, I could I could see myself enjoying that game, but the thing is with with this with the single player RPGs, I always I I, I love the story and like so Final Fantasy X, Final Fantasy VII, some others that I really enjoyed as a kid. I just um, the action RPGs like those I, I they don't quite do it for me the same way. The story is fantastic. The graphics are incredible. Yeah. Um, Honestly, the story may be the best story I've ever played in a game, especially one single experience and how it immerses you in that character. I watched uh, a movie. You did or you would? I would. Is there a movie? You know, I bet you could watch all the cutscenes. I bet there is like a probably 25-hour movie on YouTube. That 25 it, hours? I'm sure. I put in 100 hours easy on it. I mean, I, I'll just say at the end of the game, and for people that, that um, played it already, so I won't spoil anything, but at the end of the game... My kids were kind of into it. I mean, I have an eight-year-old and a six-year-old, so I'm like, they shouldn't be watching that game, but they would, <laughs> they'd be like, oh, dad's going hunting, and so they, they'd be into it. And uh, So we get to the end of the game, and I've had the same horse throughout the entire game. And if you beat it, you know what happens. And I look at the kids, and they're broken, and uh, and everyone's on the edge of their seat for the final ten minutes, and the next day, we're kind of having a rough day, right? As a family, we're out. We're kind of bickering at each other. And everyone seems kind of depressed. And it was like halfway through lunch. My wife goes, you know what it is? It's because of the end of the game. And I said, you think so? And even the kids were like, yeah, that was that was messed up. And so it's a good game. And the story was so good. It had an effect on us in real life. 
Spoiler alert. alert. You think that's spoiler? It, it, you don't know until you until you do it. I'm pretty sure I know what happened. Next question. Thanks. <laughs> Mother Solo 5. I can remember at least five recent drafts where the Bengals have taken a first-round corner. Please tell me there isn't a chance we do this again this year. It's a non-value add at this point, in my opinion. I think the chance is extremely low. I think you have a better chance of drafting... I would say corner probably comes before safety because there's no safety there that's probably worth it. Uh, but other than that, probably not running back because there's not a running back worthy. So corner would come before them. But I think every other position, Jake, stop me if, you think, if you're thinking of one. I think every other position, maybe not wide receiver, right? Maybe corner yeah. over wide receiver. But every other position after that is probably on the board before corner. I'm trying to imagine a series of 10 players that could be taken that would have me seriously looking at a cornerback, and I can't. And it's only Greedy Williams, because you have to run fast to go in the top 20 in the NFL draft at corner, and only Greedy Williams that was projected to go in the first round past the threshold. So it comes down to one guy. The chances are extremely low. So Mother Solo 5, I would say you probably can rest easy knowing that there's a pretty small chance that the Bengals go corner in the first round. And I think I think that signs are pointing to the fact that they're looking at linebacker and maybe a sliding quarterback. And a, there's a chance they're looking at Ed Oliver, but they're not one of the teams that's visiting with him. And we had a long list of teams today that are visiting with Ed Oliver. The Bengals aren't one of them. There's some edge rushers that might slip that maybe they would be interested in too. I think all those guys, and even the tight ends, would probably come before corner. Joe, I'm going to read the next question because it's addressed to you, and I think it would be weird oh, okay. if you asked it to me. TRL at CNatty87 asks, Will Joe be happy to eat crow if the Bengals are successful this year? I'm kind of confused on this question because I know I can be negative, uh, but I haven't said they're going to be bad. I questioned if they're rebuilding. I have said at times maybe they should consider blowing it up because of some of the practices they have continued to uh, use in, in acquiring talent this offseason didn't inspire confidence. But for me, I wouldn't even begin to predict their season until the draft comes. That is their biggest acquisition of talent every single year. And, and it's going to be that way again. Now, it may they may only get production out of two or three rookies, but it's still where they're going to get their, their greatest influx of talent. So until they address that and until that process even takes place, I don't even know. I can't even begin to fathom where they're going to end up next year. Yeah. And here's the thing about my take on this. I know you, I know you asked Joe and I, I, I Joe and I generally agree on pretty much everything except for the carry win signing, but I'm not going to sit here and make a prediction about what the Bengals record is going to be. In, in 2019, I, I've learned enough that you cannot predict the NFL. I mean, maybe you could say, yeah, sure, you can predict. You know, you have a 50% chance of being right if you say the Patriots are going to win the Super Bowl. Yeah. Whatever. I mean, sure. But when you predict most teams on a season-to-season basis, there are too many variables. There's too much in the air in terms of guys getting hurt. Uh, other teams that are dealing with injury, breakout players that nobody sees coming that – when we say the Bengals will probably do well if this happens and they probably won't do well if this other thing happens, that's the kind of prediction I think you're going to get out of me individually. Makes sense to me. Our next question is from Brian at Puck and Bad Jokes. All right. And Brian, this is our favorite question of the week, so you get to pick our intro music for next Friday. He asks, if there was a kicker or punter you knew would be the greatest of all time, 
and stick with the team for 15 years. I like that caveat because the Bengals may lose him in four years, if not. Uh, so he's with him for 15 years, and he's maybe the best kicker all ever or punter. Where would you draft them? He is the best kicker punter of all time. Right. Not he maybe, is. but is. Right. And is, is he saying that it would be both or is it one or the other? Oh, that'd be interesting if he was if he was a dual player because then I think it's definitely first round. <laughs> if it, yeah, if he could do both, it's a little bit higher. I would say if you knew for sure that a kicker. So I think kicker is before punter for me. Yeah. For if sure. if this is the guy that you're saying I can run out there and he's going to hit like seventy percent of his sixty yard field goals for fifty fifteen years, uh, I would say you know I would consider as early as second, comfortable third. And I think part of being the greatest of all time also is that this guy will make him in clutch situations and have a lot of big kicks that would make him be considered that. I mean, so you're thinking uh, Justin Tucker and Adam Vinatieri mixed almost, and maybe just Adam Vinatieri. You would say, yeah, second round, I'll do it. I'll do it in second. This year over Randy, I would take a, if that kicker's in this draft, I would spend a second round pick on it. Yeah. If it's a punter... Like, to be the best Fifth. punter of all time, <laughs> like, I don't even, that, that's not even that good. Like, you would have, have to blow, yeah, you would have to blow the current punters in the NFL out of the water for me to consider going higher than a fifth round pick on a punter. Just because, yeah. like, there's not much of a difference. Sure, there, there's a difference, but the act, like, the difference in the way the ball comes off the foot of the best punter in the league and an average punter in the NFL isn't huge. But if you're telling me there's a guy that's going to come in and be able to do coffin corners from 80 yards for 15 years, and he's like literally a generational punter, then you start to consider, okay, maybe a little bit higher. So, Joe, if I can take you and I, I can say I'm on my own 20-yard line, I'm going to reliably, let's say 50% of the time, I can put the opposing team inside their own 10. So you mean like insane punter? This guy's just a, a yeah. god. Like literally, yeah, the Greek god of punting. Puntalitis. He would go <laughs> in the second round, I think, if you yeah. can do that. We're talking about some pretty wild players, I think, but you got the idea. I don't think like I don't think I would if I knew what Adam Vinatieri's career arc was gonna be, maybe like fourth round. No, come on. Yeah, because he's greatest, he's greatest of all time. Yeah, but the team got him in the situations, right? Like he's clutch, sure. but clutch he, is a he's, big he, thing, man. It is big, but I want a guy who can be clutch from sixty. And that's, that's I think Vinatieri to used Tucker. to have a really good leg, but he's kicking in in Boston for so long, and you see him. He he had yeah. a bunch of long ones this year uh, in Indianapolis. Anyways, we're gonna take a break before the next question. Oh, okay, great. Yeah, we're about halfway through here. We gotta let our ads run. Our loving sponsors and network. We want to tell you about the other things going on at the Lockdown Network, of course. So we're gonna take a little bit of a break. Come back and answer some more questions. Brian, congratulations at Puck and Bad Jokes. We will contact you on Twitter and you will have a choice for our intro music next week. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Lockdown Bengals podcast. It is Mailbag Weekend, episode number 27. It's not really. I'm just rolling here. The first thing we're going with here, Jake, apparently Gold Star Chili wants to know how many Coney crates, or does, he, or does he just mean how many Coney dogs can he eat in ten minutes? What do you, I'm actually confused now because the original guy is goes by ten fucks, 
on Twitter, F-U-X, I think that's how it's pronounced. He he says, Bobby Hart owes every Bengals fan a Coney crate. And he said he's sending this to Gold Star Chili. And they said, well, how many do you think he can eat in 10 minutes? So what do you think, Jake? How many can he eat in 10 minutes? Oh, I'm going to go with individual Coney's. And we talked about this a little bit before we started recording. And I would like to say, because I, I, Coney's are small, right? Like, I've, I've eaten, I think, 10 and I'm probably half of a Bobby Hart, if that. No, yeah, I'm half of a Bobby Hart at least, actually. Probably more than half of a Bobby Hart. Anyway, uh, I would say that, you know, you would expect him to be able to eat, because of that, about double what I could. So if you add, like we said, his penalties and his sacks allowed yet last year, which is 19, I think he can beat that and get to 20. This is exactly what I want to see. I want to see him eat as many that we should do this for next year because if it's similar that's a lot of conies right or unless we should say you know what here's a bet for you to be even better you have to eat in 10 minutes however many pressures you give up so if he gives up 40 39 pressures again that's a that's a lot that is a challenge but that's if he's a much better level yeah yeah but if he's much better and only gives up 25 well we got it we're game on right you know what Here's what we could do for the if Bobby Hart grades X, Y, Z. We could say for every sack and and penalty he has fewer than than 2018, I will eat that many conies in 10 minutes. So, okay. So if he has – so give up 9 and 11, right? 9 sacks or is it 10 and 9? I think it's 10 and 9. 10 Yeah, 10 sacks, 9 penalties, right? Yep. So if he ends up with six sacks and five penalties, which would be decent uh, for him, it, you would say, okay, you're going to eat 11 or you're going to subtract and say you're going to eat eight? I, I would eat eight, the difference. I, I would put okay. down eight Gold Star Chili Cheese Conies, no mustard, no onion, please, in 10 minutes if, if that's the performance from Bobby Hart. Do you not like mustard or don't like mustard on your Coney? Uh, you know, this isn't, this isn't your opportunity to ask questions. No, uh, <laughs> I, I like, uh, Dijon mustard to oh, cook fancy with. fancy boy, huh? To, to, to cook with. Uh, I'm not, I, I'm not a big mustard person. No, not my favorite flavor. Love mustard. All right, let's go. Let's move on. Next question is from Derek at five, one, three in UAE. I suppose you're in the United Arab Emirates. I hope everything's going well for you over there. All things being equal, the Bengals have the first pick in the 2019 draft and in all rounds as if they are the Arizona Cardinals. Who do the Bengals take and why? Maybe this could be an option. I just thought of the same thing. Mock, mock draft Monday at some point. But we could say in the first round, maybe first two rounds, who's your who's your number one? Is it, is this it would Murray? be tough. I think if you have the first pick, you have it for a reason. And uh, you should probably consider quarterback and not miss that opportunity to get one. Having said that, man, if I'm really high on Ed Oliver, Quinnen Williams at one would make me really happy too. I think he's a stud and a half and really would could instantly be the best player on your defensive line. And I know that's crazy with Geno Atkins, but I mean within the year, within by twenty twenty, that could definitely be the case. Having said that, I go Kyler Murray number one and I go for the chance to really be something special at quarterback and you know whether it works or not you have the first pick what do you got to lose and in the second round i'd like to come back and you know that i feel like it would be dependent on who falls obviously but i think 
if there was someone like Dalton Reisner there. And they, I'm trying to think of the guys we miss out on typically in those first nine picks in the second round in our mock draft Mondays. Reisner yeah. is a name that, that tends to happen a lot. Uh, and I think I, I would definitely look for that. And if I could even, maybe even trade up to a few picks. So I'm, I'm with you in the first round. I'm taking Kyler Murray because there's a chance that he's just Baker Mayfield. Or maybe even or better than even Baker better. Mayfield. Maybe. There's a chance. Because, because I think... The arm talent is probably a little bit better, right? Sure, could be. He's not as polished in terms of accuracy and going through his reads. But I no, think it's it's, it's the it's the everything else. It's the off script, yeah. and it's the, and it's his legs. I mean, Baker Mayfield is a good athlete, but not He's, not at the right. level of Kyler Murray. Murray may be Mike Vick running, and with the passing ability of, jeez, I mean, I think flick of the wrist the way he does what what he does. I wouldn't be surprised if – and this is funny because I think Mike Vick would have been much better had he come out 15 years later because NFL offenses adjusted with college offenses, and he, I think the production would have been there. Uh, I've seen a lot of people compare, compare Murray to Vick, but I think more likely he has the passing arc of a um, Russell Wilson in how he throws and yeah. the arc of the ball on his deep balls and placement on his deep balls and just flick of the wrist gets a lot of power out of his balls. Yeah. The the second for me is probably also Quentin Williams. There's some consideration, I guess, for Bosa, but I haven't even really watched much of Joey Bosa or or not Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa. What's his name? It's it's Nick. I, his production's not good enough for me to take him number one. And then who else is it? There's there's a Kentucky guy, Josh Allen. There's, yeah, he didn't. He, uh, he would have to have tested a little bit better yeah. for me to take him. Also, it's Quentin Williams or Kyler Murray. Yep. Is it my turn? No, it's my turn, and it's from Joel Chandler. Joel knows Bungs at Twitter. What's up, Joel? We've we've uh, conversated for many years. He asks, "What makes White the better Devin?" So this is a linebacker question. I see the explosive movement skills with White, but he also misses in the backfield a lot. Doesn't look particularly powerful or instinctive in the run or pass game. Okayish blitzer. Bush looks better at everything. What am I missing? So. I don't necessarily agree with everything in this assessment. There's some missed tackles on tape for Devin White, and there are occasions when he, I think more often than looking not instinctive, he just, he, he'll lose the ball. I think his instincts are actually pretty good most of the time, but sometimes his vision betrays him. And I think, yeah, Devin Bush, I think the one place you could say Devin Bush is almost certainly better than Devin White right now is, is blitzing. I yeah. think that Devin Bush is a more refined blitzer, more refined pass rusher than Devin White. I think Devin White has has shown the ability to jump snap counts really well and get those free rushes, which is a lot of times what you're asking for middle middle linebacker blitzes anyway. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't have the kind of power to knock an offensive lineman backwards if he hits him with a full head of steam, the way that we see Vontez Burfecht did when he was blitzing with the Bengals when he was good. Uh, so, you know, he's not going to blow up a fullback in the hole the same way that a bigger guy would, but neither is Devin Bush, to be honest. And I think the one thing that, that really stands out as better with Devin White than Devin Bush is his, his coverage ability. He actually is asked to play coverage quite a bit. There's a play in the Ole Miss game when he, when he covers AJ Brown in the slot and does a, 
you know, he acquits himself well. He actually ends up pushing AJ Brown out of bounds. Yeah, when the because, quarterback breaks the pocket, right? Right, because it's within four yards or whatever. So I remember that he, play. he he takes that receiver fully out of the play in man coverage. And outside of that, he's asked to drop into a deep Tampa two cover two, uh, hook curl kind of zone, quite a bit, and and looks pretty comfortable doing so. And has, I think, really good instincts, actually, as to when to come out of that zone and chase down a quarterback, and he can close on guys. So I don't necessarily agree that he doesn't look very instinctive in the runner-pass game. Sometimes he does lose the ball. I think he has some vision issues, but I think Devin Bush does too. They're both like a little bit short. Bush is even shorter than uh, White. And I think if you're talking about power, I, I... he doesn't have the power of Avantes perfect, but he's 20 pounds lighter, so maybe even 30 pounds lighter. So who does, right? Yeah. I think Bush has a little bit more power to him because you take away the inch, they're relatively close in yeah. weight, and sure. that just adds a little more compactness to him and a little bit more density. Uh, and he maybe he, – he I think he, he carries that weight and hits with it a little bit harder. But I do think White – Devin White is much uh, – much better in coverage. I do think that. But I here's the thing, and the reason is because you agreed that Bush is a better blitzer, and it's I think he's asked to blitz much more because he's not as fluid in coverage or comfortable, I should say, because that's the thing with, with both of them is based on their fluidity and athleticism, you believe they could be much better in coverage than they've been in college. And if that's the case, and one of them really is, and maybe that defense didn't use them that way, that could be the key of who's end up ends up being better in the NFL. And we we've talked about that a little bit, right? We've talked yep. about, you know, if Devin White learns different ways to to go through his own reads on the defensive side of the ball because LSU is so run first and you'll see this on play action, he sometimes bites pretty hard, but you've talked about that's the way LSU is coached. They've always been that way. Yeah, and and I think the biggest knock on on Devin White from what I've seen is that sometimes he'll lose the ball. That that's the biggest issue I've had with him. Bush has the same thing though. He exactly. gets blockers on him. I think White actually gets neither of them discard blockers well. So stack and shed, right? Yeah. But White avoids he those does. blockers. He and does. his his peripheral vision and awareness around him, he he gets those guys away from him. I think once cup blocks happen and other things like that, he gets taken out way too often and uh that's not ideal, obviously. I think he needs to do a better job using his hands, extending his arms. Yeah. Uh keeping his vision up while doing so. He tries, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. And Bush, rather than, on the other hand, Bush will more often get engulfed by these blockers. And he looks like he's scrambling and trying to just peek and guess where the running back is, and he gets washed out of the plate a little bit more. Yeah, I I think White does navigate traffic a little bit better. He's able to leverage his explosion and his agility to beat blockers to the point a lot of the time, and in doing so manages to impact plays. I also think that there were quite a few plays that I saw when it looked like he was doing his job on defense and holding his gap, and then you know the rest of the team would kind of get washed out a little bit on, especially against Ole Miss. There are some pretty big runs in that game against that defense, and yep. I wasn't sure how much I really wanted to blame Devin White for some of those because it looked like he was where he was supposed to be on on a couple of them. There there were times in that game too when he just lost the ball on counters and options as well. Yep, and that's he's going to do that. He's hyper aggressive with vision in the backfield, and I think because of it those misdirections just get them way too often yeah next question that's a good question too i enjoyed talking about that one today the next question comes from dean at dd merit 
best realistic pairings for the first three rounds. So we're picking, I think, one of these guys um, from each of these buckets. So in the first okay. round, it's Ed Oliver, Jonah Williams, Devin Bush, TJ Hawkinson, Brian Burns, Dwayne Haskins. In the second round, it's Mac Wilson, Irv Smith, Will Greer, Charles Amenehue, and Greg Little. And in the third round, it's Titus Howard, Chuma Adoga, Tyree Jackson, Tyree. Blake Cashman, Jay Sternberger, and Draymond Jones, Ohio State defensive tackle, who I think might be in the second round. But for the sake of this, we'll say it's third round. Had he tested better, he'd been a lock in the second. I think actually may have gotten some first-round buzz. Uh, he didn't test as well as you would expect, and I think he could go in the third round. So, And we pick high in the third, so it, it's possible. Okay. It is. Uh, so this is the best outcome of these three rounds using these players listed. I think that's – when you got the first round there, that, I would probably say Jonah Williams and Hawkinson would be the two guys I would – place above Bush and Burns, although I would take any four of those guys. This is a tough question, but I would say getting the quarterback in Haskins would be worth it. So that makes it very hard on me. Uh, yeah, including the QB is a real a real curveball yeah, for you. Hey? It is. And second round, I'm not interested in Menahue or Irv Smith there. I would take little, but that's not a, um, that's not a win or a prize for me. Mac Wilson in the second would be good. But getting Greer in the second, I really like the chance of Greer. I want to roll that dice. I want to be the team that does it. Uh, so you're tempting me there. In the third round, I like the, the, the option of Howard and Adoga. I don't like Tyree Jackson in the third, even though I would be interested in taking the chance on Tyree Jackson. I just think it's too early. The chance, Everything's stacked against Jackson becoming good. Uh, I do like Blake Cashman. I think I am around early for Sternberger. And I would take Draymond Jones. So... Looking in the future and knowing who's going to be there, I'm going to go with the first round of uh, Dwayne Haskins. Come back in the second round, take Mac Wilson. Come back in the third round and take uh, – I was almost going to say one of the tackles, but I think I'll go with Draymond Jones because I think the value would be better there. There you go. Interesting. Uh, I'm pretty similar. In the first round for me, it is between Ed Oliver and Dwayne Haskins. Just because I'm, we, we watched Dwayne Haskins after we recorded yesterday and, and went through his – bowl game tape against Washington and Joe said that was his best tape and I came away thinking he's accurate in the middle of the field he has issues throwing high when he's throwing left which was consistent enough that I think it's a weird quirk to his game that he'll have to iron out and uh, has some general accuracy issues I think outside so I'm not sure that my evaluation on Dwayne Haskins justifies the uh, number 11 pick. I wouldn't be upset if they went with him, especially after we talked yesterday about maybe he needs to sit for a year and maybe he develops through some of those things and figures out the accuracy issues outside a little bit. And the NFL hashes are closer together too, so there's fewer long sideline throws. That being said, it, it is hard to pass on a quarterback here who could be a potential franchise guy. And if nothing else, if he is a lateral move, saves you money, the position. That said, if Ed Oliver is as good as his athleticism was today, I'll go Ed Oliver in the first round for the sake of doing something a little bit different here. Ed Oliver isn't an option. Where is he there? He's the first option here. That's what, that's what I said, Ed Oliver. Oh, my God. I didn't see that. See, I would have went Oliver. My mistake. Can't win them all, Joe. Can't. So, Second round, I'm I'm surprised you're off Irv Smith entirely in the second round. Yeah, I think the tape is good, and I think uh, he's a natural receiver with really good hands. He just put himself in a bucket in terms of testing that uh, many 
players don't get out of and become good players. So I don't want that. That's fair. Uh, yeah, of these options, Mac Wilson is easy, easily the pick for me in the second round, even after taking it Oliver in the first round and looking at Will Greer there in the second. Mac Wilson is at least going to be a productive weak side linebacker in the NFL based on what we know about him right now. He might have more issues in run defense than Bush or White, but he is a linebacker who can come in and do something unique for the Bengals probably pretty quickly. And then in the third round, since I've got my defensive tackle, I've got my linebacker. I'm not looking at Cashman, even though I think that there's good value there with Cashman in the third. And I agree that Draymond Jones as a pass rusher is a pretty promising and and on tape, like does some pretty crazy bendy things from a defensive tackle position. But I have that yep. athleticism in Ed Oliver in the first. And so I'm going Chuma Adoga in the third. That's fair. I think yours ended up pretty well. And it's not that dissimilar. So Dean's... Dean has two different choices. He has TJ Hawkinson, Mac Wilson, and Chuma Adoga. And then he has Ed Oliver, Brian Burns. And Burns, yeah, sure. Also a pretty rare athlete with yep. Will Greer in the second round then and Chuma Adoga in the third. So I think both of those are interesting, and I wouldn't be that upset with either of those either. Same. Uh, next question is from Mitchell Couch. He goes from Couch Mitchell. And he asks, name four players, one in each of the first four rounds of this year's draft that the Bengals should not pass on trying to exclude players with high grade sliding like a uh, Jeffrey Simmons in the second round. Okay. So first round Ed Oliver should not pass on Ed Oliver. No that's, matter what. That's, that's what my feeling. Saying. Yeah. Okay. Uh, second round or, or, you know, Kyler Murray, but I mean, he's going number one now. Yep. We so, shouldn't expect him there. Right? Yeah. Uh, second round. Should not pass on him second round. So this is be Dalton Reisner. Yeah, I would is agree. That yep. one fair? Yeah, that's fair. That's fine because he should go twenty five to thirty five. But I think there is a chance he's there at forty two. Maybe, maybe Mac Wilson, but probably not because there could be somebody who could talk me into picking over Mac Wilson in the second round if he's there. Andre Dillard, if he's still there in the second, even though I think he's probably a mid first at this point. Sure. Uh. Their second round spot is my least favorite spot. Um, yeah, love where they pick in a lot of these mocks because it's where that it's where that first round talent like or first round guys like anybody that might be slipping they're going to go in the top of the second before the Bengals pick. Yep. But can I say Jeffrey Simmons if he's there in the second? <laughs> I mean, I want to say that. I want to say if Jeffrey Simmons is somehow there at forty two, do not pass on him. Yeah. I think I think that's fair. I think I think you you told us to exclude him, but I think Jeffrey Simmons is a guy that most people are projecting early second round at this point. So I think to say you shouldn't pass on him if he's there in the early second round, I think that's fair. Because he was fantastic in college. Um, yeah. What about Jerry Tillery? If Jerry Tillery is there in the second sure. round, sure. Don't pass Jerry Tillery. I'm and, cool with and, saying that. And I think he's probably not going to be there in the second round, but probably not. Third round. Oh, this gets this gets hard for me once you get into the late rounds. Yeah, I don't know Give, if there's a guy that I'm going to say you shouldn't pass on in the in the third. It's hard because it it's hard to say don't pass on this guy because I don't know what they did in the first two rounds, right? Yeah. What, what about would, what about Daryl Henderson in the fourth round if he's there? Sure, I'm with that. I don't think he'll be there. I I, st- no. I keep thinking he's going to go in like the third round or so. Yeah. And in the second and in the third round you're okay passing on a running back. Would you be okay if they pass on Will Greer in the third round? I I probably would not be. I mean, depends on who's there, right? But 
it could feel similar to passing on Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, a few rounds later, but you know, it depends on your opinion of career. Yeah, I think it's a tough question because now I get to I, I you know I don't want to say don't pass on Blake Cashman, but if they took Devin White or Devin Bush, then obviously that that changes everything. Who else can fall? I mean, it's it's hard to identify guys with my fault. Maybe we'll flag this one and, and come back to it on Mock Draft Monday. No, we do it when the actual draft happens, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, because then we're we're gonna have a we'll have a podcast Thursday night after the first round, Friday night after day two, and then Saturday night to recap probably, and then probably even maybe to talk about it the following. But uh, and we'll reset and say don't pass on this guy because there'll be some fallers. There'll be guys, you know, don't pass on. Dalton Reisner at 42, if he's still there, guys, come on. And, and it'll be much easier to answer then. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely have a lot of that content during the draft. Uh, yeah. Next question is from Brandon Kuhn at Crandon Boone. If you can only choose one, would you rather extend Joe Mixon or William Jackson the third? This is no contest for me. It's it's uh, William Jackson. Yeah, that's easy. And, and the reason is because... Running backs. Running backs. It, it, Joe Mixon would have to be, what, like Barry Sanders? No, he'd have to be Todd Gurley, in my opinion, to warrant it. Because and I, even then you could say Todd Gurley's not worth it. He was, he was outplayed by C.J. Anderson. No, but you pay your superstars and you figure the rest out. And I, I, would, I would extend William Jackson over Todd Gurley. Okay. I, I think you could make that argument. Yeah, if Jackson... He, I mean, I'm thinking of Jackson off last year. It's hard to really know still what Jackson's upper level of consistent play is, although I know what I feel it is. I know what I think it is, and that's that of a number one type corner. Uh, but, yeah, so I would agree. If he is that, then 100%. But that was just my statement on Gurley was more of just general running backs extending them. It, we've... If you look at anything right now, especially with analytics and the production you get on second-year contract or second contract, I should say, for a running back, and it just starts to dip and dive off a cliff, and especially considering what you can get for a guy in another second-round pick, third, fourth, fifth-round pick yeah. could give you the similar production. And this isn't a slide on Joe Mixon. I really no. like Joe Mixon as a running back. Right. Joe Mixon's the man, I mean, in terms of on the field. And, uh, yeah, I would hate to lose him, but it's that's not a question for me. I'm next here, right? This I is from so. Scoby Snacks. Scoby Snacks, what's up, dude? He says or asks, I don't know what he says yet. Um, as an ex as an ex linebacker, I'm likely biased, but I've noticed elite middle linebackers are criminally underrated. I've noticed majority of elite defenses of the past 20 years have had a good pass rush and elite middle linebackers with supporting talent. Ray Lewis with the uh, Ravens, Bobby Wagner with the Seahawks, Urlacher, Willis with the 49ers. I think you have a point there what do you think jake yeah so his his follow-up to that was can you discuss why so many teams overlook middle linebacker high in the draft and why we should or shouldn't take one of the devons to set up our yeah. defense for success for the next decade with jesse Bates in the secondary and big future potential in the pass rush so most of those teams you mentioned are kind of a previous era of the nfl even patrick willis is before the current, I would say, style of offense we're seeing in the NFL on a team-to-team basis. Bobby Wagner, certainly, you could point to and say, he's the best linebacker in the NFL right now. You could, oh, yeah. argue, you could, argue, you could argue Luke Keekley maybe, but most people would agree that Bobby Wagner is the best linebacker in the NFL. And 
there's still vulnerabilities in that Seattle defense. I mean, he it's it's having that elite middle linebacker. I, I don't think is as game changing today as it was even five years ago, especially my, ten years ago. Here's my thing: uh, middle linebacker was very prestigious in its position. It was the middle. It was the guy calling defense. He was the captain of your defense. He was the heart for run defense in a lot of ways. Your nose tackle could be too, but you know what I'm saying. Um, a lot of times the middle linebacker was the the key position. It was often called quarterback of the defense, right? The game has changed. And because of it, because of more passing, because of more nickel defenses, those types, those run stuff or middle linebackers have gone to the wayside. And because of it, they are no longer able to wear the radio helmet. One guy gets to wear the radio helmet. And a lot of times now for teams, it's the weak side linebacker because he's going to still be out there in your nickel defense. So it be, the value now of middle linebacker has dropped off dramatically. Yes, you'll still take one of those elite guys you've you've uh, mentioned. If, you've, if I know Devin White or Devin Bush is going to turn into one, one of those guys, give me him with the 11th pick. Let's do it. I'm excited. But there's plenty of opportunities where he just ends up being C.J. Mosley. And Mosley's good, but... He's he's got paid a lot, but he didn't make the Ravens any different than they ever were, and you got to wonder if that's ever worth it. The value of off the ball linebacker, if you're not, and mostly was good in coverage, but most middle linebackers aren't that, and we you could even say Bush and White, that is the area they struggle r- right now, or people would say they do. Uh, I would say that if unless you're pass rushing or great in coverage or great movement in space, which Bush and White do have you are going to be valued less. And that's why we're going to see potentially, and I think White still goes top 10, but that's why Bush could still end up going 20 to the Steelers. Yeah. I, I don't know that I have anything to add to that one. Okay. You got the uh, next I think question. I'm next. Next question is from ABC at George Johnson 69. Number one, do you guys plan on doing game reviews this season? Yes. Yes. Number two, I hate how pass interference on a long pass is a spot of the foul penalty. It seriously cripples a defense. What do you guys think of a five or ten yard penalty and an automatic first down? Love the content. Thanks. I We mentioned this when we talked about reviewing pass interferences, and I would like to see a judgment call, even though I hate judgment calls for the most part, and they usually get judged incorrectly. But... I would like to see how it was for the face mask. 15 yards for personal foul, 5 yards for incidental face mask contact. I would like to see incidental contact be a 5-yard penalty and or maybe 10, maybe even 15, but deliberate pass interference be spot of the foul. And I I think spot of the foul is key because I don't want it to be uh I don't want to take away that opportunity for really saying, "Oh, this guy got beat, so he's just going to tackle the receiver and it's going to be a 15-yard penalty like it is in college. I, I like the idea of – and maybe you cap it at 30 yards, and I think that's fine. I think then you could say, okay, it was a chunk play, but it's not Joe Flacco launching at 55 yards downfield and getting a, a free scoring position play because he, he sucks. Uh, so I don't like that, and I don't like rewarding quarterbacks for throwing a bad pass. A lot of times these flags are thrown because the, cor- the corner and receiver are running downfield, the ball's thrown inside and, and short – now the corner is put in a position where the receiver is coming back for the ball. You have to allow him to come back for the ball and make a play on the ball. But he's the corner doesn't feel comfortable 
turning and looking and, and attacking the ball because the ball's not coming in a place he's even expecting it to be. And you get a pass interference call on something stupid like that. I hate rewarding bad throws. So for me, uh, that would be incidental contact more than deliberately really chopping at the arm, pulling him down, or doing yeah. whatever it takes to make sure he doesn't catch it. Yeah, that that's the biggest situation where you hate seeing the spot fouls, right, is, is the Joe Flacco chuck and pray. And it's yep. like... 20 yards underthrown and the receiver starts to run back to the ball and runs through the corner. I mean, maybe that just shouldn't be pass interference. Maybe there's some other way that we could address the rule to make it so that in the situation that it's an underthrown ball like like that and the receiver tries to run through the corner to get there, that's not pass interference. But, I mean, I can see where that also gets really gray and, and tricky yep. to to enforce. So, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm in favor of a two-pronged approach. I think that sounds good. I also think I mentioned this in that I think same podcast. I think it would be cool if they extended the bump and run. You know, you're allowed to make contact here to like seven or eight yards. I don't have a problem with that. I wonder how it would, it would affect everything, but I I'm cool with that idea. I, I think uh, I, I just think receivers have it too easy right now. And I think the uh, situation where offenses and defensive contact within like two yards how they act like it's blocking and you really can't call pass interference i think there's opportunities to call pass interference within five yards and they don't do it a lot of times and uh i'd like that to be revised because i think there is some pass interference within five yards i think when the ball's in the air and you're still touching my receiver i get pretty pissed off about that yeah because the ball's in the air that's the definition of the rule yeah exactly and next one's from juicy jake he asks what would and what? No, I'm sorry. Would Andy Dalton stay in Cincinnati after the 2020 season if he has a record statistical year, but his performance doesn't result in wins for the team? So I, I would say that that this sounds like to me a similar to how he's been the last three years. Even though he hasn't had the production, uh, they obviously fall short. What do you think, Jake? Well, this is saying that he has record production, but they don't win. I mean, that would be a weird situation yeah, i can't how think could of, that happen right that's why i was that's why i went a little further on the question because if you have if you throw 35 touchdowns and only 10 picks and 110 quarterback rating your team's gonna make the playoffs unless you get extremely the, unlucky right and your team or you have is, a terrible defense yeah and then if you have those built-in excuses then we're both gonna say and everyone's gonna say they should probably stick with Andy Dalton because we got to fix this, the defense or fix the special teams whatever has happened uh i think we could all get behind that but uh, so I think, yeah, in that scenario, he would stick around as long as the money was right, because I think that is still going to be the sticking point. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Andy Dalton is actively looking to get out of Cincinnati. Right. I think he thinks that it's a pretty good gig for him here, and you know, maybe he thinks he's a little bit underpaid now compared to some of the other veterans in the league that have similar production, but... He also hasn't really, you know, it's hard to it's hard to justify. I mean, it's hard to justify some of the other quarterback contracts around the league because there are a bunch of guys that haven't won anything that are getting paid more than Andy Dalton. But, you know, he hasn't I won anything. Know. He has not won anything. But, and you know, in the grain scheme of things. Yeah. Uh, the next question comes from Nick Greer at Cable Commando 9. I'm personally hoping for best player available at 11, but now that a lot of teams view Locke, Greer, and Jones differently than the media, are y'all warming up to the idea of any of those three if it means the blue chip guys are not there? So for me, let's say if Ed Oliver's off the board, Devin White's off the board, and then I would even say Jonah Williams is off the board. So and now Devin I, Bush? 
No, I think you put Bush on there, and, and because I don't expect okay. him to be gone, so I'm trying to be a little realistic and see if I would consider these quarterbacks over Bush, over Hawkinson, and Fant because one of those guys should probably and probably one of the edge rushers like Montez Sweat or Brian Burns too. Fair or Rashawn Gary, even even though we've made our peace with that. Uh, see, I I think I'm firm in all three of my evaluations already. I. I already thought Jones was a first rounder and it doesn't mean I love him, but I do think you can run your system through him and he has some traits that I definitely like. There's parts that I definitely don't like. So in, in specific, uh, I think he's strong in the pocket, a better athlete than expected. Good deep accuracy, even though his arm isn't strong. And I didn't like his personality when I got to talk to him and a little bit at the senior bowl, he's just way too calm and cool. Eli Manning type where he just was like, Get me out of here. I need to answer this question as fast as possible. Where Drew Locke, on the other hand, was very personable, could recite things and remember specific plays and instances and coverages from the defense, but he doesn't play that way. So I'm firm on Locke where I feel the parts are better than the whole. Uh, His footwork sucks. He has a a lot of bad and errant throws. I think he has poor deep accuracy, even though he has a strong arm. So he's like almost the opposite of Jones, right? Uh, And on the other hand, Greer is very similar to Locke, but he doesn't have that cannon arm. But he's the best deep ball thrower outside of Kyler Murray. He will try to make the same plays Locke does, but I don't think he is as cool about it. I think Locke has a lot of fumbles and weird plays happen, but Greer has very similarly bad plays happen and tries to force a ball where he shouldn't. Locke will do the same, but Greer doesn't have the same arm as Locke. So that's why Greer isn't viewed that way. But it sounds like some teams do view, view Greer as a top 40 pick. And if that's the case, I think it's definitely worth it. And, I, you know, I wouldn't take any of these guys at 11, to be honest. I wouldn't be happy about any of, of 11. I, and I said this on Twitter this week, that if they take a quarterback, I will reset my evaluation, believe that maybe I was wrong for a couple of years, let him prove me wrong, and be be into it like everybody else would be into it. So what I did with Andy Dalton, and, uh, you know, I let it go for three or four years, and so I said, well, I think this is who he is, and uh, we need to make decisions. Well, Andy Dalton in the second round is, is different than one of these guys in the first round, too. Yes, and the 2011 draft was different. We haven't seen the quarterbacks go like that since where I mean Kaepernick and Dalton went in the top, you know, 10 picks or so in the in the second round and were almost start and all were starters by year 3 of of being drafted. That's not it's that's rare. That's it's really rare for both those guys to be like that. And you got to remember that year also it, Blaine Gabbert was was drafted high uh Locker. Um, Locker and that's who Drew Locker reminds me of is Jake Locker and Cam Newton, obviously uh, who's the other one, Christian Ponder. So there was a lot of quarterbacks that that got pushed up in that draft, but then Dalton and Kaepernick didn't. So it was a very weird lockout year for the draft. Do you have pro comparables for Locke, Greer and Jones off the top of your head? Yeah. I think uh, Locke on the upside part of this is going to be a Jay Cutler type. Uh, and that's cool and fun. You can win a lot with that, I think. But uh, he's also going to be a, Jay Cutler. A sure. Yeah, and right. But and I think it'd be more of the whole career of, of, of Jay Cutler. Okay, Cutler, so the, where the, you're have... the peaks and the valleys. Yes, exactly. And I think that's definitely who he is from a play-to-play standpoint. Um, I think 
I want to say Daniel Jones reminded me of Matt Ryan mostly, and that's okay. And Matt Ryan ended up being a little bit better than I expected, but he, at the same time, Matt Ryan has a great system around him. They keep investing in wide receivers and always seem to they have do. good running backs, and they do a good job. And he's in a dome, and they they're getting the most out of Matt Ryan, where the Bengals don't seem to be getting the most out of Andy Dalton, and a and he's probably a similar talent to Dalton in my opinion um so I think Jones could be a a guy like that and and for Greer honestly uh he reminds me more of like a little bit more talented Case Keenum type where he's got some of that moxie in him he could I think lead a team in, in some situations like Case Keenum made a run with the Vikings and was really good that year I think you could get that out of Greer and I wonder if there's more I always keep wondering every time I put Greer on if there's more and he honestly because there's a lot of plays that he looks like Pat Mahomes and there's and maybe Pat Mahomes is just unique and no one's going to match that and that's probably most likely and Greer will just end up being Case Keenum interesting uh, our next question is going to be uh, another one from Scoby Snacks. We'll do one more from Scoby Snacks. And this one is, do you think the evolution of the game and the changing rules to advantage offenses and the fact that all offenses also have three or four receivers that can get open, should good safeties be prioritized over good corners? I could see that. Yeah, I think that's a good question. You know why? Because if you have one good corner, the offenses are just not going to attack them anymore it used to be two two wide receivers two corners you shut down half the field with one corner that is definitely not true anymore in fact Mm -hmm. you may not only shut down a quarter of the field with with a corner and with a truly great daryl revis and you still get exploited up and down the field and especially if they're not following the number one guy which very few corners do that this these days so yeah i think they're a derwin james is definitely more valuable than who's the best corner in the league right now Chris Harris. I don't know if that's true anymore. No, but he has been really good. Uh, I mean, like, let's just say Patrick Peterson or Derwin James. I think a Patrick Peterson and uh, Derwin James going to affect 20 plays before Patrick Peterson affects five in a game. Yeah, I think this gets interesting when you start to consider like Tyrant Matthew types too. The guys that right. can come down and play slot. And there are several yep. of those guys in this draft. Juan Thornhill played outside corner before he moved to safety. We talked about Imani Hooker, the Iowa safety, a couple weeks ago in the mock draft Monday as a guy who has the ability to come down and play some slot Cha- as well. So Chauncey Gardner-Johnson Chauncey is your Gardner-Johnson, Definitely, yeah. So there's there's quite a few of those guys in this year's draft. So if you're playing a good center field and you can also come down and play man on a slot guy, that might be, yeah, that could be more valuable than an outside corner. Jesse Bates did that in, at Wake Forest. Didn't do it much for the Bengals. He was definitely. He did not. A, he a was a deep, free all the yeah, way. Yeah. Um, oh. It's a good question. It, it's it's. I mean, what about what about Earl Thomas versus Patrick yeah, Peterson? Earl, yeah, Earl Thomas is more valuable, even though he's not going to affect in terms of tackles. You know, actually making plays on the ball, even though he has great ball skills, his what he erases in the middle of the field yeah. is much more ground than one corner is exactly. ever going to erase. And and you could hope that is like the ceiling for for Jesse Bates. He does have that kind of range instinct. I mean, not not saying he's going to be Earl Thomas, but he has that sort of range and and instincts on some of the interceptions he made as a rookie. Yep, more insane from him to get there. All right, yeah. next question from Pup Joe Three. He says you have mentioned a few times about the Bengals adding one or two wide receivers in the draft. Who are some of the day two three types receivers that you would that would fit well 
in the Bengals offense, we kind of actually already answered this question, didn't we? We talked about some of the day three guys, uh, for sure. Okay, so some day two, round two or three guys? Yeah, and and if A.J. Brown falls to the second round... The Bengals slot. have a visit with him, right? Do they? No, that was Debo Samuel. Debo Samuel is one that they definitely, I think, are looking at. I don't know. Is he is he a day two? Is he a round two or round three guy, Debo Samuel? He's Late in that two? range. I wouldn't be surprised if he went... Uh, early too. So yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. He's a he's a big, thick, strong slot receiver. Yeah, and who's who's a guy that didn't get used? It's also a slot projection. You have Me- someone in Michael? mind? Is it Michael? What's his last name? I know who you're talking about, but I haven't watched him at all. He ran like twenty. He had twenty-seven catches or something, but you know. Yeah, people think about? he. Yes, I do, but I haven't watched him, so that's why his name isn't in my yeah. brain. Uh, we talked we drafted, about who did we draft? We drafted uh, God. We're Hakeem Butler. Hakeem Butler, thank you. And but then he's, today, I think Chad, not likely to be a second round guy, right? Chad Reuter of NFL.com had us taking Nikhil Harry at forty two. And, and yeah, if Nikhil Harry's there at forty two, I'm definitely considering him because he's another guy that I think people are thinking about for for receiver one, depending on who you ask, right? Yeah, and this is. Probably dependent on, as we said before, if Tyler Boyd and A.J. Green don't make some headway over the next month, the receiver is a position of need for the future. And I would say it's a position of depth in this draft. We didn't even talk about J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, who's big, might have separation issues, but very, very big catch radius, good hands, good and contested catch situations. Paris Campbell, the speedster from Ohio State, Terry McLaren, another productive Ohio State wide receiver who really stepped up with uh, Dwayne Haskins, a quarterback. Kelvin Harmon, an NC State guy that the Draft Network, some of those guys have as their wide receiver number one. Uh, Andy Isabella, uh, undersized guy who played on the outside for UMass, who Pro Football Focus has, I think is a guy that they really like as potentially uh, a wide receiver number one. So yeah. David Sills also we didn't I don't know if you said him from West Virginia he was the he was the deep threat yeah uh, in that offense so there's quite a few guys we talked about Antoine Wesley earlier when we were talking about you know day three targets uh some people like Riley Ridley I'm not as high as him Demarcus Lodge that's the old Miss guy that I couldn't think of Demarcus Lodge is like the third receiver at Ole Miss with uh DK Metcalf and AJ Brown there but I think he also has the makings of a of a productive NFL wide receiver anyway Next question comes from Aaron Parker at Membangle. I liked the potpourri pod yesterday, and Taylor mentioned in his meetings wanting to have Mixon fresh in December. Hmm. Augers more carries for Gio, but maybe hints that are running back earlier in the draft. I want the Memphis kid. Three, love what you're doing with the podcast. So thank you. Thanks, Aaron. We'll talk about the Memphis kid, and thank you. Memphis is good. <laughs> I mean, we've drafted him in mock draft Monday last week and uh, Daryl Henderson, right? And yes, that would be awesome. Uh, I do wonder if where running back is, we haven't heard anything on Mark Walton. I'm surprised he's still on the roster, to be honest with you. So if they release him right before that, maybe then yes, running back I think could be higher on the board than we originally suspected. I do think there should be more carries for Geo early in the year. I th- and it, it's going to be based on the game flow and if they're in also development of Mixon, if Mixon becomes a better all-around 
player in the passing game that'll take some snaps from geo in, in that portion of the game and maybe you feed geo a different way and, and get him on the field different way he's still an effective runner uh so yeah if you want him fresh later in the year part of that is going to be using his backups and in the past regime the past coaching staff has never been able to really have a good flow from their starter to their backup and there are a lot of guys in this draft i think that could be around in the fourth fifth round that could come in and be competitive useful running backs at the nfl level i think it's a deep running back class too and it doesn't necessarily have the saquon barkley the top of the draft kind of guy unless you think that's josh jacobs but it does have a lot of depth and nobody is really talking about because like the positions of strength are edge rusher for the first round especially yeah uh, tight end throughout the entire draft, wide receiver throughout the entire draft. There's a lot of quarterbacks in the first three rounds that people are going to talk about. There's a lot of offensive tackles in the first two rounds. Uh, corner is a little bit weaker this year. Running back is strong, but it's it's you know not a position of high value in the NFL. And there's no star. Yeah. What's our okay. next question? It's from Greg, Greg Borchers. Yep. He asks, who are the better inline tight end prospects down the draft board to watch for? I'll give you first one. Trayvon Wesco is a tight end from West Virginia. We talk about a lot of West Virginia prospects. For some reason, they had a lot of players play very well, and he's a fantastic blocker, and he had some soft hands too. When is Dana Holgerson going to become an NFL offensive coordinator head coach? Any thoughts on Dana Holgerson, Joe? No? Okay. What, gets, what about the, I was, I was going to have a thought real fast that he usually gets – he's one of the best uh, coordinating offensive minds in, in all of football. So, yeah. I, he's I'm creative. He is, and he gets production no matter where he goes. But everybody thought Chip Kelly was creative too. Um, what about the LSU guy? What's his name? Is that is – that, nope. What's his name? Tested really well. Foster Morrow? Yeah, okay, that is a name that was in my head, but I thought it was wrong for some reason. Yeah, Foster Morrow blocked a lot at LSU, tested really well as an athlete. The other two I'll mention is Drew Sample from Washington and Kanan Smith from Stanford. And and Drew Sample, actually, I think only had one drop pass, or he might have had no drop passes this year. But So he's also got soft hands. Both guys are inline blocking types and could provide that because I definitely think the Bengals have a need at wide tight end. Fair enough. Is it my turn already? Jordan yeah. Grigsby 5. Oh, no, it's my turn. Jordan Grigsby 5 asks, Every year there are a couple players in the in the draft who have off-field issues that keep them out of the first or second round, similar to Mixon and Burfecht. Who are some players this year that could take a slide you could take a risk on? Hmm. You have any ideas for character concerns in this year's draft? I mean, I think uh, Ja'Kai Polite. But I, yep. it's not like off the field stuff. It's it's draft prep and and work. He's having an Andre Smith type uh, draft process. Yeah, that's the one that jumps to mind for me. Yeah, because like people were saying, he's out of the first round after. A, I mean, we talked about him at eleven. Like at least mentioned him right and early. I, I mean yeah. January. Yep. Or February because uh, he was in that group of top yeah. fifteen edge rushers. Yeah, and when they were bringing in Todd Grantham, we said. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe they, you know, Jokai Polite. So he's definitely the guy that we should be talking about first and foremost. And we've mentioned Jeffrey Simmons, and he was falling because of an injury, but he also, his tape is top 10. He was falling, or at least would have questions because he had an incident in high school. So, uh, right. Was yeah. it Jalen Ferguson that wasn't invited to the combine? Yes, that's right. Some people but, think But then that. he tested really poorly at his pro day. 
yeah, so that, um, you know, you are at that point, you've got no no argument. You had issues and tested poorly. Yeah. So, yeah, I think the guy definitely is Ja'Kai Blake, which is interesting because if you thought a guy was a top 15 guy based on tape and he completely bombs it, and it's affecting him. It didn't affect Andre Smith. The Bengals still took him at six. It affects Vontaze Perfect big time. And uh, maybe that's the way it goes for Chikai Polite. I think a lot of people also saw Vontaze Perfect personal fouls in college and said, nope, I'm good. Oh, his senior year looked like last year with the Bengals. Yeah. It is. Okay, so now I am up. Yes. It's Nick Greer again, Cable Commando. This, Nick Greer is a good guy. Um, Great show as always, guys. Question. Everyone is up in arms over Taylor's coach speak. But honestly, what else is he supposed to say? My quarterback is average, and we're definitely looking to improve. Not that I disagree with him, but let's give him a little more slack. I think it's fair to say that he's been asked some some repetitive questions. And so he's giving some repetitive answers. But I, I don't know. I guess that's probably frustrating for him too, right? Like he can't be like, okay, guys, 15 people have asked me if Andy Dalton's going to be my quarterback this year. I've answered this question. What's next? He's, he's, he's a polite person, so he's, you know, giving the same answer. But, you know, the way that he's gone out and defended some of the coaching hires, I, I wanted I, – I still want more from Jim Turner. Jim Turner, you know, the answer on Jim Turner was, I know him. I know the kind of person he is. And then in Jim Turner's interviews, he's apologizing that it got out. He's not apologizing for his actions. So I, I – that still has a cognitive dissonance in my head. So that's something that, you know – I, I think he's talking about bringing in the right people and he's repeating this mantra when he's talking about the coaches that he's brought in, but he hasn't been very specific about why Lou Anarumo is the right guy, what he brings to the table, why Jim Turner is the right guy, what he brings to the table. So those are some places where I would have liked to see him get into it a little bit more, talk about what the positive attributes are, because I think you can talk about the positive attributes. And like Joe did when he defended Bobby Hart, as Troy Blackburn earlier in the podcast, I, I think you could do the same thing for these coaches and talk yeah. about here's here's the things that we're excited for. And instead, it's just I know the kind of person he is. He's the right person. I trust him. Right. Well, it doesn't he's, tell uh, me anything. I've watched tape since TCU. Great. Uh, it's, what I would say if I was Taylor and how I'd mix it up and make it interesting is I'd say, well, this is what I want in my quarterback. I want a guy that is smart. I want a guy that's dependable. I want a guy that'll get us in and out of the right plays uh, or out of bad plays in the right plays. You know what I mean? I want a guy that will read the defense pre-snap, post-snap, deliver the ball where it needs to be and keep our offense on time, but has enough wherewithal to know when it's time to take a shot and can make those plays. And I think Andy Dalton can do that. And Andy Dalton has shown that he can do that. And I think with our offense and our system and the the talent we're going to put around him, I think Andy Dalton's going to have – one of his best years, or at least that's what we expect out of him. So I think he's the best guy we can have for 2019. And if he said that, I'd say good answer because yeah. that is the that is a good answer, and that sh- and that would inspire confidence. Instead, he's giving us you know uh, peanut butter sandwiches, and it, that's that's it. There's no jelly in there, and I'm not having a good time with it anymore after eating it five times. Yeah, and and at one point he said like he needed to go back and watch all the tape, and then he would have more informed ideas about the guys on the roster. And then he said that he's done that, but then he's saying the same stuff about the guys on the roster, and he's saying that Bobby Hart's the right tackle of the future. And then it's like, ah, I just want to uh, tell me something real, coach. Tell me something real. And they don't have to be cheerleaders, so it's not their job to get us excited. His his job is to coach this team, make them better, and and win, and that'll get us excited. But at the same time, there is awareness of knowing when you're losing and gaining points and 
I'm not sure this organization knows that all the time. And uh, Zach Taylor seems like a great fit for that. It's funny because Mike Brown just yesterday was talking about like, you know, our fans wanted these young coaches, this innovation. And we also want to know why we have a guy like Jim Turner on the coaching staff. The only guy saying all the right things over the last three months has been Mike Brown. Yeah, he even didn't. He even didn't vote for the pass interference review thing. This, yeah, way to go, Mike, Mike Brown's Brown. on fire. Mike Brown killing it. Last question, <laughs> uh, I think. Last question, yeah. L one C four at Darth Card. If we take Ed Oliver in the first, then in the first four rounds, would you go two linebackers and wide receiver or offensive tackle? What would you all do? Mailbag Thursday. I like Gary Johnson and Jermaine Pratt. Well. I don't know you have to take two linebackers. I would like to double up the odds of getting one good one. So if that's the angle you're taking, I I understand that and could get down with that. Uh, I think Preston Brown is one starter. I think Nick Vigil is another starter. And I think they probably view it this way. I think they view one open linebacker spot left remaining. And I think they're saving that for the draft by how they've operated so far through free agency. And, that means drafting one guy. So if you spend a second round pick on a linebacker, guess what? He's walking in here as a starter because that's how it goes unless Jordan Evans and Malik Jefferson all of a sudden hit the gas and become every bit of the potential they have. So if that happens, then you have a good situation at linebacker. So I would say tight end is still very high on the chance of getting drafted in the top four rounds. I would also say offensive tackle, definitely. We should expect it day two as high as second round. So yeah, I think that that could possibly happen. So I would, I would adjust how you're looking at it a little bit. Cause I don't think two linebackers, if they did two linebackers, that'd be wild just based on how they've done it in the past. Uh, but I think there's a good chance that if they did take Oliver, you got to get a little bit more creative because I, it sounds like the guys are targeting at tackle, maybe the types at 42. And if you don't take a linebacker at, at 11, you may be hard pressed to get the right guy at 42. So it'll switch some things up for them. And we've run into this when we've done our mock draft Mondays where we take an Ed Oliver, TJ Hawkinson in the first round. And then we're like, okay, well maybe we're not addressing offensive tackle in the first three line, first three rounds. So we can address linebacker a little bit more aggressively, but if you miss on the top three, are you comfortable taking Jermaine Pratt or uh, the Minnesota Blake Cashman in the second? Nah, I started to feel a little bit questionable about that. One thing you mentioned is, you know, the, the coaching staff is going to get a look at some of the guys like Malik Jefferson, who are relative unknowns at this point, because they do have their offseason program beginning on April 9th, which is before the draft, of course, April 24th, April 25th, uh, April 25th, the draft starts. So the Bengals will get a chance to look at some of these guys with their new coaching staff. They get these bonus workouts in the offseason. They will have one before the draft. So maybe that has a small impact, but you have to imagine they have a pretty good idea of what the roster is at this point. At least you hope so. Right. That is the idea. Uh, but getting guys in and talking to them will be big also because yeah, you can't have too much contact right now with those guys. And I'm not even sure how much you can have. So getting players in that had surgery in the off season when the season ended affects you, how you feel about them. And also talking them for the first time, giving some, them some plays, seeing what they can digest, seeing what their mental attitude is, could uh, affect how, what you saw on tape also. I think they have, I think Zach Taylor said he's talked to almost everybody on the roster. Now they're not allowed to talk about like playbooks or football or anything, but they're allowed to talk and say like, Hey, how's your off season going? You know, how, how's the body feeling? Like what do you, they're allowed to talk about, not work specific stuff, I guess. 
Anyway, that is an hour and a half of Joe and I answering as many questions as you could throw at us in about a 12-hour period of time from us posting the question to us recording the podcast. So thank you all again for getting those questions to us. We, we didn't even get to everyone's question. We never, we never get to quite everyone, but we do our best. And we, well, we appreciate that that many people are asking questions. And keep asking your questions, because even if we don't talk about them today, we might talk about them in the future. There was one question about Dennis Daly, for example, that we haven't watched Dennis Daly yet, the Oregon tackle. Well, um, now we will. And, and I can tell you that he didn't grade well from Pro Football Focus. He didn't test well, and he has short arms. So I can okay. tell you, I can tell you so all those things about it. Jake's him. already made his decision based on measurables, guys. I want to watch the tape. You, you're going to have a guy with 33 and less than a half inch <laughs> arms playing offensive tackle, Joe? Not normally. Uh, we will be in touch with you, Brian, at Pucks at Puck and Bad Jokes. You won our best question of the week contest, and you will get a selection of the intro music for next Friday. That'll do it for us at the Lockdown Bengals podcast. That's been a, a wrap on a pretty fun week. I hope you enjoyed it too. We hope you get some listening in over the weekend, catch up if you're behind and we'll see you for what is most likely to be a mock draft Monday in a couple of days. Have a good weekend Bengals fans.